Are you suffering from back pain? Well, I've got the thing just for you. 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case, volume 1, available at Amazon.com. Over 30 million Americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment. The vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book, you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him. Also, check out the five-star reviews on Amazon.com. This is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain. That's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain, plus 192 of us just in case, volume one, available at Amazon.com in paperback. Check the link below the show for more information. Welcome to another episode of Turn Chuckle. Now it's just myself, Pablo, here today. Mark is on holiday, so I'm here to, you know, carry the weight of the show, to shoulder the burden, and to basically prove why I am the greatest wrestling podcaster in the history of the world. Um, of course, I'm joking about that. I'm in. I'm in the top three. I'm in the top three in the history of the world. Um, so the normal nonsense uh, chatter between uh, myself and Mark isn't obviously a part of the show. I'm not going to do an impression of Mark. I don't want to offend anyone, and it would bore people to death. Uh, so we're going to get straight into my interview with the head of WOHW, I'll get that right, WOHW um, Publishing, Kenny Casanova. Now Kenny has co-authored books with Kamala, uh, Dangerous Danny Davis, Vader, Sabu, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and he has done much more. Um, it, it's actually amazing for how long I've known him and we uh, became friends because of figure collecting. Like he uh, made a Lex Express. He customized the Lex Express, printed out his own decals and everything, and uh, used a Brat tour bus. And it looks amazing, and I still want it. So, Kenny, if you're listening, please give, leave me it in your will, if you don't mind. Um, so we, we will chat about everyone who he has worked with with these books. We talk about his wrestling training. We also talk about his experience ring announcing for the WWF, back when they used to do guest ring announcers in, uh, like, 93 to 95 uh, approximately, and uh, usually Gorilla Monsoon, who's the face announcer, and like a child would come on and obviously do a terrible job of announcing whoever's to come to the ring. Gorilla Monsoon would absolutely destroy these children's, you know, abilities on the microphones. 
Um, and he's meant to be like the the nice person. You know, it wasn't even Heenan or Johnny Polo or anything like that. But um, yeah, he is. Uh, Kenny has done so much. And uh, links below the show to buy all of his books, which I highly, highly recommend. I have read not all of them, but I've read it, uh, the ones that I have read uh, blew me away. They're vastly different from each other as well. And uh, we talk about Kenny's uh, writing style, how he approaches each project and stuff like that. So yeah, we're not really going to talk about news uh, too much on this episode because... Um you know, otherwise it'll just, I, I need someone else there to be my uh, rudder, I guess, to stop me getting carried away, um, <laughs> with my opinions, uh, I need, I need to be challenged, basically, um, so yes, we're, we're, we're I'm not gonna uh, hold you up any longer, and I don't know why I'm stuttering, to be honest, um, I've done this long enough, um, it's it's because I'm I'm playing with I'm I, I'll tell you what I'm doing I'm playing with two nails I don't not nails the wrestler uh, but nails actually nails I don't know why I'm doing that and I'm trying to not just accidentally stab myself in the hand uh, you don't need to know any of this but you do need to know that uh, I have just interviewed Austin Idol he will be next week's show uh, we discuss uh, Retromania from Retro Soft Studios and uh, you know we hope you enjoyed the uh, the interview that we did. Um, with the head of uh, Retro Soft Studios uh, about the game that's coming out. Um, what else? What else? What else? There are more wrestling names to come. Don't you? Don't you bloody well worry about it. And uh, the Stephen Gauntley interview, uh, the fan Q and A episode, has uh, done. Uh, very well as well. Uh, great feedback. Uh, there will be more things in the future with Stephen as well, which I'm very excited about. And um, what else is there? Yes, uh, 15 Showfire Tips for Relieving Back Pain. Uh, do check out the book, link below the show. He is a friend, a sponsor, a collaborator, uh, everything that, you know, apart from a lover and a, a mother, he's he's not any of them. Uh, but he's, he's close to a brother, let's just say. Um... And I have interviewed him finally as well. And on the other show, Pablo's Poppin' Podcast, uh, that interview will come up. The big news, I guess, is that we kind of scrapped the uh, Turnchuckle Podbean page. Everything is going to be on this page, the Pablo's Podcast page, and it'll all be on the same thing on iTunes. We are going to relaunch the uh, shows with uh, the wrestler interviews. Uh, we're going to figure out a way to do that. And, um, yeah, but just make everything easier and keep everything under one page sort of thing. So Pab the big, big, big news, I guess, is that Pablo's Poppin' Podcast is going to be on under the Grapple Arcade banner. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, it just makes everything a lot easier. And uh, Mark was uh, just recently had an interview with... Um uh, the Spanish announce table show do check them out which is uh, local to Newcastle and uh, we talk about or he talks about a range of things and I will be going on quite soon uh, to also talk about a range of things as well so uh, yes without any further ado this is the wonderful Mr. Kenny Casanova Okay, with me this week on Turnchuckle, we have DJ, promoter, wrestler, journalist and author of various wrestling biographies including the brand new book about Vader called Vader Time. I have with me Mr. Kenny Casanova. Hello. Oh, hello. Thank you. This has been years in the work, I think, right here, this interview. It really has. And uh, yeah, not that we've <laughs> uh, tried this before. A couple of Mother Nature uh, stopped us from being able to do this last time. I remember there being an almighty storm and uh, it uh, cut us off about three or four times. Uh, right. Just as things were getting like really emotional as well, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Kenny is the, um, what would you call yourself? The president, the vice president, uh, a client, um, the coffee maker, the toilet scrubber of, uh, WOHW publishing. I guess all that, that sounds good. It's pretty much a one man show. I mean, basically, uh, what we do is we help the wrestlers, 
I guess you could call it self-published, although I'm sort of a publisher, but I'm like an anti-publisher. So I have a publishing account and the whole deal, but I just kind of turn the rights over to the boys so we can keep the legend alive and also make them some money in their later years. That's great. It's kind of the equivalent of um, of the T-shirt company. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, pro wrestling tees. Pro wrestling tees, yeah, yeah, uh, doing sure. an amazing thing. Um, so yep. what? So Kamala was uh, the first book in the in the series. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yep. So I, I also was a manager for many years. Uh, uh, you know, up and down the northeast area in in America. Although I did stuff all over the place, I was basically a regional guy. Um, and I did kimchi for Kamala for a number of years here and there on the independent scene. And uh, unfortunately, he lost both legs to diabetes. Um, we wanted to help him out. I set up a Kickstarter and we got interest behind a book. So we put together a book uh, as, as the big reward to try to get. And it did so well because all kinds of people jumped in to help. I mean, we had uh, Mick Foley. We had DDP. We had Steve Austin put him on his podcast. Um, we had a number of people writing guest passages. Um, from his past, all kinds of people, Coco Beware, Chavo Guerrero, uh, Insane Clown Posse, all these people came forward. Um, so the book was a success, and then that branched out into more books. So then I did uh, Referee Danny Davis, which came out pretty cool. That was my first young adult novel, kind of uh, ranging for uh, uh, you know high school students, um, pushing like a good work ethic and all. Um, after that, we did Brutus Beefcake's book, and... Uh, then we moved on to Sabu and then Vader. So you said I'm Vader's uh, – an author of a book about Vader, but it's actually uh, official biography uh, – autobiography of his. So as as with the other ones, I, I interviewed him and uh, got his whole story together um, in his voice. So – See, and th I knew this as well. This is why I, I need to be better at introductions. Uh, you think I'd be better at it by now, but uh, <laughs> uh, this is why I always say we start with a half decent introduction, then we go downhill from there, sort of thing, you know. Um, so with um, and and I kind of want to touch on all of um, all of those books, uh, but, um, and I know there's a lot of it in. Uh, but with uh, Kamala, had he wanted to write a book for a long time, and had he approached WWE when he was under a Legends contract and things like that? I, I guess he did. I mean, he talked to a few different people, but um, what really uh, made it go was the fact that he could no longer uh, do appearances. So he decided, okay, now it's time because the wrestling chapter of my life is done and now I have a new, uh, you know, concern. Uh, you know, he had traveled around the world. Basically, he's seen the whole world gone everywhere and now he has to kind of sit in his kitchen and look out the back window, you know, at the, the backyard. So um, he can't really fly or do anything like that. So the timing just worked where he needed to come up with another project to still keep the brand alive. And also at the same time, you know, hopefully make some money and offset medical costs. So uh, how was the transition from and how, how's he doing now? Because I know he's, um, it's been a bit touch and go, isn't it? Yeah, I mean he's in and out. When he's when he's on, he's super positive and you know uh for somebody in in his situation. Uh but being as a lot of these guys were booked and continue to be booked as independent contractors, they don't have any sort of insurance. Mm. So later on in life, you know, he's scrambling around to make whatever he can to pay all these crazy bills. And he does have some kind of um 
you know, insurance, but it's, it's tough. Uh, Cobra insurance is probably different than, I'm not sure how it works, um, over the pond there with you, but, uh, here it's big, big bucks. And, um, with him not able to even fly to make it to any appearances, he has to, you know, resort to merchandise and different things like that to try to bring in money. Um, so yeah, the book was good timing and, uh, he also has a pro wrestling T-shirt store, and um, recently Brian Blair, who is the, you know, former Killer Bees and all that, he he runs the uh, Cauliflower Alley Club, and he put up a a GoFundMe to help him up on some back taxes that were potentially threatening his house, I guess the, the ownership of his house, and uh, uh, Chris Jericho of all people who never worked with Kamala threw in like five grand to make that uh, goal attainable. So uh, yeah, Chris- people are. Chris is That's amazing. Awesome. He, yeah, he always um, sort of steps forward before most people to help. You know, one of his whether he worked with him or not. I, you know, one of the guys out, and you know, I I feel I I don't obviously want to talk about anyone's like sort of financial situation and stuff like that. But like, sure. do, do you feel that with with uh, James in particular that you are like? Um, an unofficial manager that you it's like because obviously you develop a friendship so is this like it now forever you want to help him and be a fr- like as good a friend as possible and all that kind of sure thing. i mean yeah that's kind of what it is he calls me like the last kimchi which is kind <laughs> of funny because i mean i actually did it but there were a number of people that did it and the most notable um were uh what's his name steve dalton in memphis and uh i'm sorry uh Lombardi. Dal- frank oh. frank dalton frank dalton in memphis and steve Lombardi in wwe yeah um uh, yeah but then there were handfuls of others that did it, um, you know, uh, outside of the television. And um, I was one of them. But a- as far as that goes now, it's mostly just me. Nobody else really does it. And I still do little appearances here and there with it just to basically um, keep the brand alive a little bit. You know, I'll go on his Facebook page once in a while and we'll shill his 8x10s and I'll dress up and act, you know, real stupid in, in the character. <laughs> they try to make people laugh and have a campy you know, potential viral video, you know, maybe selling the book or some eight by tens. And every once in a while, if I do an indie show as a manager now, which I still do here and there, um, I might, I might put the kimchi out and, and kimchi gear on and bring a guy out as a manager, um, you know, with maybe a character that might sort of be dark and brooding, you know, sort of a, or a monstrous character that might fit kimchi. Well, basically, so people will come over to the merchandise table later on and, buy a kamala book for him we mail him out the cash <laughs> totally so how, how, did, how no. did how does he feel about when uh there are say kamala ripoffs or like you know um people who are very close to his character and stuff like that does he take it as a compliment or does it kind of piss him off because like obviously you kamala, know, I, kamala is the first and the best you know like, yeah you know i think he's okay with it um okay. he's he actually still talks to kamala too quite a bit um who was uh, he showed up in ECW. He did some Jap- Jap- uh, Japanese tours. Um, he's a little shorter than Kamala. I think he's a little heavier too, looking um, more round than Kamala. <laughs> so, I mean, there's definitely, you could see the difference. And then there've been other guys, like there's a guy that called himself the son of Kamala, you know. Um, he's, he, he doesn't like it in that, I think he feels that he could, he could have been booked himself and made money, but at the same time, the other guys that impersonate don't ask as much. So he he realizes, I think, that um, part of it's a little bit flattery. You know, it's not necessarily a ripoff because they're not called Kamala; they're called Kamala no. Two or Kamala Junior. So he's been a, pretty cool about it, I think. 
And when you talk to him sort of now, is there a period of his career? Because I guess everyone would just assume WWF, but obviously it wasn't all kind of plain sailing with WWF. Is there a period of his career that he loves to continue to talk about that he holds higher than anywhere else? Sure. I mean, but he does talk a lot about like Andre the Giant um, and a lot of his stuff with with Andre was pre WWE, although Andre was one who pulled him in. Mm. Um, So he does look back a lot to some of the old days um, stories he likes to tell are uh, uh, Jerry Lawler in Memphis originally painting his face, being the first one to come up with the paint and the whole gimmick, actually. Um, and he uh, he tells a story about how, uh, you know, he paints his chest and puts the stars. And um, one day he was painting, you know, the, in yellow, um, the moon on his stomach that everybody remembers. And uh, he said, hey, Jerry, well, why is it you paint a banana on my stomach? Is it a fat joke? And. He's like, you big goof, it's not a banana, it's supposed to be the moon. So for a period of time, he, was, uh, he wasn't he was even sure what was was drawn on him. <laughs> so did uh, James see the uh, outtakes that were just uh, recently put online? Sure, uh, from you, right? <laughs> yeah, it was me. And uh, well, what happened was I, I managed to get the tapes from someone because um, he didn't want them anymore. And I don't think he really cared about what was on them and stuff like that you just need to get rid of them and i know that there was some stuff that ended up on the too hot for tv jerry springer uh network uh thing which included one of the kamala outtakes Um, oh okay um did you not know that oh i didn't know what the tape was from i thought the tape was going out to an actual blooper type show like uh, I, whatever I, that was. I have no clue where this, yeah. you know, because there's like Vince McMahon bungee jumping off the side of a wall. Um, there's, you know, uh, Mel Phillips sat on Roddy Piper's knee. There's, there's just tons <laughs> of just really random stuff. So yeah, no, um, the particularly the Kamala, the uh, the fucky fucky <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, bit was um, obviously uh, bleeped, but it was put on the uh, Jerry Springer Network Too Hot for TV. Uh, sure, oh. but I'm I'm really glad. Look, I'm I'm just glad that people are getting to see it, and um, you know, uh, my friend Richard had the equipment to be able to do that, and uh, sure. And if if you know the guys who are involved in it get a kick out of it, I, you know, I really hope James got a good laugh out of it. Sure. So yeah, I'll tell you the background on that. I mean, just basically woke up one morning, you know, I'm checking out my Twitter as I usually do. I got some eggs. I got some ground beef. I kind of recently cut out a. Uh, carbs by the way and dairy actually and i dropped like 15 pounds so uh, wow. okay. rec- rec- recommending that but anyways um and i see i see a kamala blooper with mean gene i'm like i i've never heard of such a thing now i remember you showed me a stack of the the videotapes that you had uh acquired and you were proud of that and i didn't know what any of them were they just had stuff written on the side of it and whatever but i so when when richard land's post came up I, I didn't even put the two together, which is which, which is odd. Uh, so I'm looking at that and I'm like, geez, I mean, if this guy's posting all of these Kamala clips, you know, let me see if Kamala wants wants me to post them for him because it, it, they weren't on Facebook. They were only on Twitter. So I, I call Kamala. I'm like, dude, you want you want me to put the blooper? Yeah, I think you should put the bloopers <laughs> up, Kenny. I, I think that would be funny. He's, I don't even barely remember myself. So I said, all right. Let's uh, let's let me see what I can do. Kamala has a bigger right to him than this guy, Richard. So I I, I stole <laughs> it from Richard, put him up on Kamala's page. And then he writes me 
uh, not knowing who I am. And he writes, you know, uh, I see you use some of my clips from Twitter. I would appreciate you to at least use uh, my, um, you know, Twitter handle and give me some kind of plug for it. And then somehow I put one and one together. I don't know how. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, these aren't even his. And, and he wants credit. And on top of that, these came from, from Pablo because you I think you sent me a message. That's right. You sent me a message and said, hey, I saw you put Kamala's stuff up. That's awesome. Something like that. I'm like, that's right. These are his. So I write back to Richard and I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll put a plug up for the for the <laughs> videos. But I'm going to plug Pablo because they're from him, not you. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You got me. <laughs> oh, did he really? <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no heat whatsoever. And to be, and to be fair, though, like I, uh, like I said to Richard, Vince McMahon could just call up one day and demand the footage back. You know, I haven't seen all of the tapes. I don't think there's anything really incriminating on those uh, on those yet. <laughs> well, what else is there? I mean, I saw the, the Mean Gene stuff. And I saw like a Billy Jack Haynes getting uh, bit by a horse. And uh, <laughs> I saw uh, Don Morocco talking about money on the beach. And saying oh, there's a, there's a, um, a tape that says, happy birthday, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I think it is just a tape of just maybe Hogan oh, and Jane Oakland wishing yeah, him yeah, a yeah. birthday. Uh, I saw that one. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I haven't seen all of the uh, the footage yet. And I know there's like a, um, a li- it must be a live broadcast of wrestlemania 3 or it might be different camera angles like i really don't know i don't know what the purpose was i know that there's like some other footage that like ended up in richard's collection from bobby heenan he had a a similar tape where it's post wrestlemania 9 footage um where vince gets in the ring and gives hogan a hug and everything and um yeah no so it's just crazy how that stuff kind of uh sure yeah, but Richard, we love you. We do. There's no heat whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but if, if if you make a, like a million off it, you know, feel free to split some nah, of this. You know, they don't. He doesn't sell any. We don't even no, know how to doesn't. do that. No, <laughs> I don't think we true. know how to do that. <laughs> um. So, um, after Kamala, was Danny Davis was second in the series? Yes. Now let me think a second here. Uh, I think. They both came out around the same time. I have a bad habit of really and not holding back. And since that and Beefcake were completed around the same time, they were probably released within months apart. So uh, I I think it goes Kamala, Danny Davis, Beefcake. But actually, it might actually be Kamala, Beefcake, Danny Davis, technically, because of when they got released. But right. either way, um, we can talk Danny Davis. Um, the idea was we knew that a lot of people didn't. Uh, necessarily know him just by name because also there's another Danny Davis that uh, OVW, uh, was, yeah, yeah, OVW, sure. So um, some wrestling fans, diehards, would recognize him. Younger guys might not. And we said, well, you know what? To grab the younger guys, you know, you have a really good story about coming up from nothing and being a bad kid, and then developing a work ethic, and then uh, how, how grabbing. Did, how did you contact Danny? Like, or did he well, contact I, you? Uh, okay. So we had worked a lot of shows together for a promoter named Mike Sparta in the Boston area. He's from New Hampshire, which is North of Massachusetts, Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am, uh, West of it. So we were a few hours away from each other in a s- central location. So he knew me from just doing these shows, you know, and, um, a local guy who was looking to get into the business. Actually, I'll connect this back to Kamala. A uh, local guy who had thrown in a lot of money in the Kamala Kickstarter for the book to make that happen. He wanted to start promoting wrestlers at comic book conventions. So I said, well, Danny Davis is a drive-in. You don't have to fly him. 
and he started using him quite a bit. And then he he got friendly with Danny Davis and talking to him even more than I did. And uh, so Danny wants a book. Danny wants a book. And I said, oh, OK, let's talk to him about it. And we talked and it took a little while to get it together. But eventually we figured out the angle and the angle was rather than to go like a 400 page book, um, let's go more around 200, make it a young adult novel, meaning more of a, a book that you would put out for high school kids to read. And it really pushes a positive message how you can have a horrible life, uh, but you can turn stuff around if you want to. Um, you know, work hard, develop a work ethic, get a good backup plan in order and and try to achieve your uh, dreams. If they do happen, great. If they don't have something else under your belt, you know, this kind of stuff, uh, yeah. mot- motivational, inspirational kind of thing. And uh, I think we put something cool together. It's a neat book. And he's told me recently that when he goes out and does these comic book conventions and things like that, appearances, um, people show up and they'll be like, wow, this is a great book. And and a couple recently was crying, like hugging oh, him wow. and saying, you changed our life with this book. You helped our son and this and that. So it's pretty neat to hear that kind of stuff. It is. It's a beautiful book. I mean, um, you know, and when I uh, was able to chat to Danny, it was before I'd read the book. So I didn't really want to like, uh-huh. sort of dig in too much. And I don't think Danny wanted to give away too much, which I totally understand. Sure. But after reading the book, I have like so many more questions for Danny because, um, oh. yeah, it, it was a, it, it's, it's an amazing book. Highly recommended. And um, is there ever, okay. there's no kind of, um, I guess, worry sort of thing about when, you know, because, again, not everyone knows who Danny Davis, uh, Dangerous Danny Davis is and stuff like that. In terms of, like, publishing numbers and all that kind of stuff, do you have, like, numbers in mind depending on the name sort of thing? or uh, Are you saying... Uh... Like, sort of, like, in terms of, like, appeal and stuff, like... You know... Okay, yeah, do I think this is going to sell kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was one of the concerns in making it too uh, too big of a book. If I made it 400 pages... I, which I could have easily done, mm-hmm. um, but then that raises the price. So, I mean, uh, we would go from maybe a $15 price to a $25 price, and then um, people that might not recognize him be less apt to buy it. But other people seeing that he, oh, okay, he's a WWF ref, maybe I'll check this out. They might be more willing to do it if it's cheaper. So that was basically, yeah, there was a little of that to it. Um, but the story was cool and I think it helped sell itself just kind of word of mouth and all. So it was pretty neat. Definitely. And, and as well, um, in terms of the amount of wrestling podcasts out there in terms of, you know, the amount of big names who have wrestling podcasts, that really is, that really helps I'd imagine in terms of really getting the word out for each project. Right. If they do one of these, it's almost, you know, any of the guys that wrote the book, uh, it's almost like a, an hour long commercial for their book in the end. If somebody has invested their time listening to uh, the wrestler, you know, tell his stories and have a good time and they come off pretty well, um, we see a spike in the, in the sales for books. Um, that that definitely happened with Kamala and, and Steve Austin. And uh, recently it happened with Brutus Beefcake and Conrad with uh, Bruce Pritchard. They did a whole beefcake episode because they've ribbed him forever saying yeah. you know he's he's the shits and stuff and they make fun <laughs> of him and then right after that he sold a bunch of books so i mean um yeah they help quite a bit how d- how does beefcake feel about the um like sort of the the sort of incessant online sort of ribs and <laughs> name calling and stuff like that because i i would imagine most of it is done out of you know um you know everyone likes them really you know what i mean but there's kind of yeah. like i don't know it i think maybe like the constant name changes and gimmick changes and stuff like that and you know right. it kind of um 
it's easy to kind of like have a laugh at sort of thing. Like, does it really, did it, did it ever offend him or was it, you know, I, I've asked him the same thing and basically I think he's got a thick skin. I mean, he doesn't like it, but at the same time he rolls with it. And I think he knows that it, uh, it's part of who he is and, and the whole deal. And, um, he's okay with it. I mean, and and people do come to his aid. I, I, you know, Bruce Pritchard will in one breath, uh, make fun of him and another breath say, but he was really over and he was charismatic and, um, you know, uh, maybe somebody else wouldn't have done well in that role. So he was able to pull it off, even being Hulk Hogan's friend and, um, you know, people accusing him of nepotism and this and that, you know, kind of getting in cause he was pretty much a friend and almost a brother to Hulk Hogan as they grew up, you yeah. know, in the, going to the same high school and all, um, you know, uh, at the same time, people will also see that he, he pulled it off. So he couldn't have been so bad. And some people come to his aid like that. I, I, they just did a, a roast on um, Bruce Pritchard. And they uh, uh, he said something. I'm trying to think of the way he worded it. It was pretty funny. It's like um, uh, Brutus in the ring was very much like his book. Um, uh, he sucked and uh, he didn't sell. Some, something like that. I think that's the way that he made the joke. You know, and it was it was horrible. But I mean, the book actually sells very well. You know, and uh, and everybody knows his name today, so he must have been pretty good. Yeah, the, the book has one of the most. Um, oh, I, I can't think of the, one of the most graphic opening chapters or introductions I think I've ever read because it goes well, straight. Yeah, <laughs> and and really funny as well. That's the thing. Like, so if I'm reading this on a bus coming back from the uh, <laughs> Love of Wrestling convention, and okay. I'm I'm just like right. I, I, I'm in the minority, but I love 1993, so I kind of wanted to get that sort of 91 to 93, like, instead of reading it from the start, like I should have, sort of thing, but, um, <laughs> the, so I, you know, the fact that you immediately go into the, uh, the accident, it grips you straight away, but it's, it's one of those things where you've kind of, you've got your hand over your mouth, because you're like, oh, holy shit, that sounds awful, yeah. um, yeah. the amount of just graphic detail about how his face was crushed in and how he started swallowing the roof of his mouth and stuff like that and but then the next line could be totally hilarious and i would laugh <laughs> literally laugh out loud on the bus so like sort of um, oh, <laughs> um and it, it was great to hear just little like because i haven't read the full thing yet but the reading about the mystery man um and just little snippets of information that the mask was an old Hogan AWA mask and it was the yeah. same tights that he used as the butcher and stuff. Like, I love shit like that. Like, that's just oh, yeah, real cool, right? nerdy stuff. So, like, um, so early on, I mean, did you, or when you meet a new wrestler, do you kind of have to go, right, are there subjects that you literally don't want to talk about or do you kind of, like, push the boundaries to see what you can talk about and, you know? Yeah, I, I do that a little bit. And when we get to Sabu, I have a good example of that. Like, uh, I remember saying to Sabu because you know ECW guys are notoriously known for their partying. I said to him, "Is there anything we could do, or can we talk a little bit about the partying?" And Sabu says to me, "He's like, oh, you want to know about drugs, then, huh?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, uh, yeah. Do you care about talking about that stuff, or is that kind of?" He's like, "Well, everybody knows I'm kind of a drug addict, so I, I guess we might as well." You know, so, I, so yes, uh, I kind of skirt around an issue, um, you know, beefcake had, uh, uh, concern with, um, cocaine at a toll booth when he was, um, I guess for a period of time he was 
work in a, a toll booth as he wanted to become a conductor for subway trains. He wanted to actually like retire and run trains. And they put him in a in a in a early type situation, you know. And uh, they had a scare where they had this guy sending anthrax around. <laughs> yeah, they, I remember you know, the story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. And, and then that uh, something happened when they opened an envelope and white powder flew or something, and they were worried. And they and somebody said it was cocaine, and he still swears that it was a, a powdered aspirin. I don't know. You know, I mean, you could ask him and talk to him. I, I really don't know what the deal was. Uh, but, you know, that's his story. So I got to stick with it because I'm his writer. But at the same time, I said to him, if you don't put this in the book, um, you know, people are going to be like, you're hiding. So you have to put it in the book. Yeah. We have to talk about it somehow. And he was cool with it. He, he was pretty, um, pretty forward with a lot of like what was going on at the time. He didn't have a whole lot of money. Uh, you know, he was uh, trying to um, he had a divorce, you know, so he's trying to make some money back and. uh uh, he had to take, you know, a humbling job and the whole deal. Um, the same thing happened with Vader. Uh, when I did the Vader book, he did not. He absolutely did not want to talk about the fight between him and Paul Orndorff. Right. Where where um, a lot of people might have heard that uh, he kind of pushed Paul Orndorff, knocked him over, uh, then kind of let him – because he was his boss. He was an agent. Let him get up and punch him to get even because he didn't want to get in trouble. Uh, so he's like, you know, give me a hit and then I'm not gonna, you know, go to the office for this and lose my job right away or anything like this. So he kind of stuck his chin out there. Orndorff took advantage of him and then kicked him, uh, with the flip flops. I think as everyone remembers, uh, he had yeah. flip flops on. And, uh, so, you know, I said, I said, Leon, we gotta, we gotta at least talk about it. He's like, I'd rather, I want to let it go. I'm like, if you don't though, what happens is. You know, uh, the fans reading the book and some of the smart marks are going to be all over. You're going to say you chickened out. You He's like, oh, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, the, the books certainly aren't like fluff pieces or anything like that. Like the honesty in these books is uh, compared to some other books that I've read, and I'll not say names. Um, sure. They are, they're very good, but especially books with ghostwriters as well, because largely from what I've seen from some of the books that I've read is that they can't remember half of their own career. So, right. uh, uh, you know, and then I kind of switch off when say someone says, Oh, I was in the Royal Rumble once. And then the Royal Rumble is a 30 man match with it. And then give oh, you, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, I completely kind of switch. And I remember, yeah. um, do I do that much? I try not no, to. You, I like, I, I like to give history, but I don't want to preach at people with stuff that I think they already know. No, yeah, I, so. I've certainly not gotten that from you. And I know okay, how cool. much, you know, from knowing you a little, how much the rest of us have been involved in the making of the book as well. Um, so to like, the point where they get they get like, oh, another call. Like, this is the 30th call, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, I think we get it right, you know. And I think another thing that helps them uh, push for the honesty is when they talk to me, they know – uh, that I'm, uh, I was in the locker room. They know that I, you know, I'm not just like a shirt and tie writer who is putting together, uh, some kind of fluff piece or something like this. Yeah. They talk to me like one of the boys, which is good. I have to kind of remind them early on in some cases, if they didn't work with me that much and didn't know me that much who I am. But once they realized from talking to me, oh, he speaks the same language with me. He's just another wrestler who might be younger than I uh, you know, one of the guys in the back, um, then they open up and they say all kinds of stuff to me that I don't think they would say to your typical, typical shirt and tie corporate writer kind of deal. So that and seems to work. Are they shocked by how much, you know, as well? And 
do you end up like say a month later finding out a story from a third source and then kind of having to find out whether it's true or not? Yeah, I do a lot of that. So sometimes yeah. a lot of the older guys forget stuff just because they're older and just the same as you and me. I couldn't tell you, you know, what I had for breakfast last week sometimes. So, yeah. uh, the, um, uh, some of these guys that it was day in and day out working 300 nights a year wrestling for WWF all over the place. Everything blurs together, um, you know, to the point where they, they don't remember stuff. So I have to go back and ask other wrestlers, what do you remember and get the same story? So, so what that spawned to, uh, in my books is a style that might be a little different, um, where you'll see a lot of guest passages where yeah. I, uh, I ask another wrestler, tell me the story. And then I listen to, say, Kamala's story or Beefcake's version. I'm like, geez, uh, Brian Blair telling the parasailing accident is so good. We have to put it in the whole thing. I don't want to cut any of it. I want it all in there. So I started doing this thing where um, you're getting little guest chapters of these other guys' perspectives, like Marty Jannetty talking about getting kicked through the barbershop window instead of just Brutus Beefcake saying that it happened, you know? So um, – yeah, so my filling in the blanks has also um, created a style that I write the books in, I guess. If, say, a story that you kind of ask a wrestler about and it's not corroborate, like the, the story's slightly different with another wrestler, is it kind of then you you would put it in the book and then let the the, the subject of the book, uh, say Vader or Sabu, whoever, oh. tell their side of it after reading the other person's side and going, well, that's not true, and then kind of, you know. <laughs> that totally happened in the Sabu book. <laughs> uh, so, like, Tommy Dreamer wrote this big, long thing about how uh, he helped Paul Heyman find um, Sabu from looking at tapes. Uh, the I don't know if you've ever seen the the insane clown posse they had something called strangle mania where they watched old footage of japanese uh death matches and they overdubbed it with ridiculous commentary this was back probably in 93 94 oh, okay uh, it kind of helped put him on the map even but uh so uh he said he brought those tapes to ball Heyman and they were reviewing these tapes and they're like oh this is the guy we need this is the guy we need and sabu is like that's a bunch of crap he's like we can put it in the book but i need to put an editor's note with it and I'm like, okay, so what are we going to say? He's like, well, this is a wonderful story, Tommy, but I think this you're full of shit because this didn't happen. We started on, on I think, pretty much the same day. And I'm like, all right, I guess. All right, so. Oh, amazing. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to ask about um, about Kamala, um, and this is based on some footage that I saw, and I'm assuming this is in the book because I, I, I don't have the book, and I do apologize, but you are very nicely, you know, so I'm, I'm technically press, so you can technically, you know, send me a book. Um, <laughs> I should do that, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the, there's footage, in, and this is probably legendary, but I only found it like a few months ago when a friend showed me it of uh, a Kamala match in uh, Puerto Rico um, when he just nearly takes his opponent's face off with like about 50 non-kayfabe punches. Have you seen this? Or? Kamala going to town on someone? Yeah, yeah, really going to town on someone. Oh, jeez, you know, I don't, I don't think so, and I don't remember. Uh, I'm gonna have you to should se send me that because actually, Kamala probably would want to put it on his Facebook and tell why it's happening. I don't, I don't remember it. So yes, please do send it to me. Yeah, There's still footage that shows up every once in a while. Uh, this guy Roy Lucier, I think his name is. He's a pretty known Japanese wrestling 
Mark, for better terms. He was never really in the business, but he he puts up clips and stuff. He recently found a Kamala uh, piece of footage where it was identical to all of the old uh, Memphis uh, debut tapes where Kamala's walking around in the back of Jerry Jarrett's yard yeah. uh, and they make it look like Africa. Um, it was a promo for that, but it was for CMLL in Mexico. And he was about to fight Norman Smiley, known as Black Magic there. And this was like a promo for that. And no, I had never seen it. It was something that was pretty much only seen – you know, in Mexico, and and he put the tape up and uh, sent me a copy of the the footage, and we put it up on the Facebook, and people are like, geez, I've never heard of this, you know. So, oh. um, once in a while, footage like this shows up, and now you got me wondering, what do you know about it? Well, my was there a backstory? Well, not just my friend uh, Grant, um, who I'll give a shout out to. I'll I'll have to message him because he likes sure. really really violent looking wrestling, and do you know when <laughs> you just see like compilations of stuff? Um, it's just this one where Kamala must have just been really ticked off by his opponent or something. <laughs> um, you know, and then literally, um, what's that film, Irreversible, when he sort of smashes his face in with a fire hydrant and just, you know, oh, yeah, that uh, that level of just, you know, just to the point wow. where... See, yes. that's uncharacteristic of him because, uh, I'll give you another story. Uh, like I said before, Mick Foley helped out. Instead of doing a forward for the book, we had him do a backward for the book, um, <laughs> And uh, he's got a thing in the back. And uh, Mick Foley said that um, uh, he, as a jobber in WWE, when he first showed up, mm-hmm. he had done a match with Kamala and he messed up some spots. He was afraid. He was One of his fr- very first matches, I think it was his first match as a jobber, he messed up spots with Kamala. And he thought when he w- was going to go into the back in the locker room that he was going to get it taken to him. He's like, you know, I'd seen a lot of people uh, – uh, get chewed out by the vets and, and and get beat up pretty good. And he's like, I was worried that that was going to happen to me, but uh, that Kamala was real nice. And he came up and said, Oh, you know, no problem. And, and uh, you know, uh, mistakes happen and we just learn from him, you know, and he was super cool to him. So Mick Foley has always been the same way to other people. So usually um, as I'm trying to make in this little anecdote, uh, the point Typically, he never really got mad at anybody in the ring um, that much. So somebody might have taken liberties with him, and he had to give a receipt back. Is all I could explain from from My what question. you know what I hear. I, will I don't know. To, I will find that footage, and I will. Uh, cool. I will send it to you. Yeah, the um, the Mick Foley Kamala match uh, actually stands out to me because we started getting a, a show in the UK called WWF Classics in the early 2000s. Oh, okay. And they were showing shows from like 82 and all that kind of stuff. And then all sure. of a sudden, they skipped all the way to 86 and started showing uh, Wrestling Challenge from scratch. Um, huh. So the like demolitions, there's a lot of debuts on Challenge because it was the B show. And they kind of debuted on the B show, and um, one of the matches is Kamala against uh, whether it's Jack Foley or whatever they call him. Um, that match is on there, which uh, you know it was always kind of fun to see people like Shane Douglas, um, you know, in like '87 in the WWF and all that kind of thing. Um, huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, that was just something that always kind of um, always kind of stood out to me. So yeah, you are. I mean, you have managed a lot as uh, as Kimchi, but you have also wrestled. So who did you train under? Because I mean, you've done far more stuff than like you should have a book at this point. Yeah, I think. a lot of people like, tell you they don't know a lot about <laughs> me because of how regional I was. I mean, okay. basically, I I worked uh, up and down the Northeast, uh, up and down the, the, you know, the East coast basically. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So I trained 
in Pennsylvania almost, but it was Elmira, New York, home of uh, Mark Twain. And uh, under a place called uh, Bone Cruncher's Gym, which had uh, various different guys from the Pennsylvania area coming up and training at different times. A lot of stuff, a lot of my training was first under a guy named T.C. Reynolds, um, who was a fake doink. (laughs) But uh, after that, though, I worked with a lot of people that were recognizable because what would happen was – I did learn how to wrestle. He TC showed me a lot of the basics and stuff. But basically, since I was a manager, I didn't um, do a lot of matches, but I did do some um, kind of like Bobby Heenan. Like they put me in a tag match or whatever. Or let me maybe I'd wrestle a girl or something, you know, yeah. like Andy Kaufman. Um, Bam Bam Bigelow gave me a lot of spots and showed me how to do a lot of things early on. So uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, rest in peace. He uh, he was right around the time that Hogan was making the jump over uh to wcw and we talked a lot about that and he showed me how to just uh polish up some of what i was doing um another guy that showed me a whole heck of a lot is tom brandy who a lot of people know as sal sincere um also does the patriot some yeah very underrated yeah he's awesome and he he showed me all kinds of memphis stuff so uh i learned all kinds of like cool comedy memphis spots that you could do um that would pop the you know, the audience, but still look real mm-hmm. these days. Uh, there's a lot of guys that do comedy, but they do it to the point of, uh, uh, exposing the business, I guess, as Jim Cornette would say, mm-hmm. um, hold on just a second. Go <laughs> speaking of comedy. My wife is down here trying to get me to break character. and uh, I won't do it. <laughs> she, she's, does she want to come tw- What? She's twerking. I don't even know what, what are you doing? <laughs> What is that? She's trying to show me something. It's not lit. I can't see the She phone. wouldn't have done this on the Steve Austin podcast. That's all I'm saying. She, oh, she's doing the sound machine. My Miami sound machine conga, I guess, is what she's doing. Because I was talking about, uh, I guess, Kamala. But that's, uh, that's not the right. That's not the right. I don't think it's the right country, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, but uh, let me give you an example uh, with the comedy. Go back to that again. Uh you know, we would do all kinds of funny spots that could be real. Yeah. Um, you know, and he would show me how to make fake brass knuckles. This is Tom Brandy I'm talking about. Uh, and and he, his trainer, King Kalua, a guy uh, who's pretty cool, um, I managed him a bunch. And uh, if I would go a little bit too far, they'd reel me in and say, no, don't do this. You don't want to steal the spotlight. You don't, you don't want to do some crazy stuff while the wrestlers are still doing stuff in the ring. Um, this is a big offender of a lot of outside forces these days on wrestling. Uh, if the guys are working hard in the ring, you, you don't want to steal a spotlight. Let them do their thing. And then when there's a rest hold or if somebody's uh, selling an injury, that's when you do something to get the audience back going. You know, um, do so they, they talk. Do they, even have rest, do they even have rest holds anymore? <laughs> yeah, not a whole lot. Oh, we sound, we sound like old men now. I'll stop yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so let me even more sound like an old man. Uh <laughs> Uh, moves like the Canadian destroyer or uh fast forward spot uh, or like, uh, you know, a mind control choke slam, stuff like that, where the other guy has to be in on the joke. Yeah. That's the kind of comedy stuff that I'm totally against. And I'm so comedy. I mean, if you watch me, you'd be like, this dude is, you know, his managing style is pretty much like Jimmy Hart or Bobby Heenan, uh, Captain Lou, you know, I like crazy. Oh. 
funny think, stuff. Yeah, they're naturally but, funny though, without having to kind of be over the top. To right. Be funny. right. Okay. Okay. So, where do you stand on if, on a couple of things? Because I mean, I've had arguments with people about this, and I, I just have to let it go, really. But like. And we'll we'll not talk too much about modern wrestling because this is not what this podcast. There's so many podcasts that critique modern sure. wrestling that I'm not, <laughs> you know, it's. Not, um, right, right, right. And then people realize that I don't know enough about modern wrestling to be talking about it at great length, sort of thing. But um, okay, so I mean, obviously, you know, the the remote control spot and all like the fast forward spot and the they'll break out into a um, a baseball game in the middle of the match and run around yeah. all four corners, all that kind of stuff. Well, see, but, again, I love sort of mid-90s WWF when, like, The Undertaker rose to heaven and stuff like that. So it's just like, can I really have the moral high ground on this? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I marked out on last night's... Um, uh, AEW uh, Battle Royal when Glacier actually froze his opponent by spitting <laughs> ice into his face. You know, like, so like, where, where's where's the moral high ground? All right. Here, you so know? <laughs> if I can explain it away and say that, uh, you know, this is true because of this, uh-huh. then I'm all right with it. But oh, okay. I can't explain a, hypnosis. He, Glacier is a he's a he's an ice man, so he of of course he can. Right. But I mean, maybe he, you know, I'm going to protect Glacier. I'm going to say that he could have had some kind of uh, (laughs) chemical stuff in his spit. So when he spits on the guy, it actually does like Novocaine's his face. Who knows? (laughs) Right. But and, and I could say that uh, Undertaker's head games and uh, he rigs it up. So the, all these things look like he's actually a dead man, zombie kind of, you know, unearthly spirit kind of doing this stuff. But he, it's just a guy playing head games. But I cannot explain away pointing a remote control for, uh, on a guy and have him take a bump. You know what I mean? So uh, well, that's the kind of stuff I don't like. That's the that's... thing that, like, I would never critique someone's athletic ability or whatever, but I, right. I kind of feel that in a sense I can critique, like, the production of things where, like, I think wrestling forgets now that the cameras are there and they should be acknowledged sort of thing. And it was kind of refreshing sure. to see that with AEW where they were doing promos backstage and actually looking at the cameras and they knew to throw it, throw it back to the ring, etc. Because, you know, the, you know, WWE announcers backstage now just stand there looking confused and then it just comes yeah. back to the coach. And it's just like, well, if it was really real, how would the director know to cut from the, you know what I mean? That kind right, of thing. Right. Or there doesn't right. seem that's the kind of thing that gets me, especially the lack of acknowledging the cameras. And, you know, I think that the the cameras should always be acknowledged in terms of skits as well, because unless it's like something that the heel has set up as like a thing to rubbish a baby face or something like that, where it's legit, like legit, like a scene sort of thing. Like, um, you know, but if it's like a, a thing where two people are in a room and they're talking privately about a secret and stuff like that it's like well, the camera's right there yeah, yeah, and yeah. lots of people yeah. can see it and that yeah. kind of thing but i mean i think every company's been uh, guilty of it but when Lucha, something like lucha underground introduces it from the start and you know what you're getting in terms of right. legit like logical you know um preposterous kind of stuff they set their own rules in their own sure. universe so i can accept that more then Did when, you like that uh, the Lucha Underground? Were you a big fan of them, or I, I? I was. I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to, only because huh. of the preposterousness of it. But then when I sure. kind of like realized, okay, it's this is it from the start, and it's not going to get you know, um, you know, it's it's not going to be like Dallas where everything's a dream at the end of the second season and all that kind of thing. You're, you know what I mean? Like it, they know 
what they have and they know their audience for it and stuff like that. So right, right. But I, but I think largely now the wrestling audience doesn't even consider it because maybe they've been conditioned to just that's just how it is. They don't look at sure. you know for the amount that like the matches get critiqued or the interview skills and stuff like that. The production doesn't really seem to get critiqued enough. Right for me, right. and I, I don't know. I think that's just, that's kind of a weird thing for me. Like, and it can make me not watch something like anymore because right. you end up you can't get your mind off it once you start like sort of realizing, <laughs> you know, like it, even when the camera cuts halfway through a move and stuff like that. Once you've got that in your head, and it takes away the impact of the move, then it kind of you know, it it really does take me out of it sort of thing because you have to huh. believe it and enjoy it while you're watching it. You know, right. what's the point? But that's my little soapbox kind of thing. But um, yeah, yeah. So was it? Um, was there someone in the northeast, like Bam Bam or whoever, who got you to ring announce in the WWF as the guest announcer? Actually, okay. So what that was was that was basically me talking to a ring announcer named Bill Dunn. Oh, uh, Bill Dunn. <laughs> the, it, you know him? Well, just WrestleMania Ten as sure. much as anything, uh, making his way down the aisle, like yeah, yeah. You know, just everything. Ring announcers should be over the top, but yeah. he had. I thought he was okay. I thought he was better than that Manny Fernandez who showed up like a year later. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bill Dunn was okay. What was his? Ba- sorry, before the story, what was Bill's background? And um, do you know where he is now? Because he's like one of the weird. Yeah, he's he. Um, okay, so I uh, looked him up recently, and he was. You can find it online. He's like gardening and like he's retired and he uh, – uh, I think – I could be wrong on this. I feel like he did some radio work to start. He must have with like, that voice. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I, I mean I haven't really kept in touch with him. But he's still uh, he's still out there. He had done a little bit of stuff with WWE. He didn't get any further up in um, – in the company, so eventually he left, and then he started doing something corporate. But I don't know what that was. Um, but anyhow, um, as a fan, I, we would see him, and we made signs that, saying "Bill Dunn rules," and we just kept <laughs> popping Bill Dunn for no reason, uh, you know. And uh, maybe a, a couple years of, of seeing him, uh, or at least a, a handful of shows. And doing that to him and making Tim White referee signs, he was like, okay, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, we told him, yeah, we're going – me and my buddy Pete who um, who did a little stuff for Ring of Honor f- for a time. Uh, but uh, anyhow, um, we uh, we talked to him before a show and he's like, dude, you guys are the best. He's like, I've never seen anywhere – do ring announcer signs. He's like, that's ridiculous. He's like, I'm not even sure Vince would like that, but I like it. I think it's funny. And uh, so we continued to do it. And then they started doing this thing where they would have different people like local uh, guest ring announcers. Like they'd have a radio announcer or what have you. Um, They had this guy named Ranger Danger who was like a a host of a TV kids show. Can I I stop you on Ranger Danger for one second? Okay. um, I don't know what date this was that he did it, but on the Razor Ramon VHS. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure you may have seen it. There's a match with him and Jeff Jarrett and Ranger Danger comes out on that. Yeah. That's the same show that I'm on, by the way. That's the same one I ring announced. Wow, okay. So he's like, you know, usually we give these, uh, you know, I got this local spot and he's like, but we didn't fill it. He's like, I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to make you, I'm going to have you do it because I had told him, I said that, uh, 
uh, I was I'm doing some training and I did some stuff with Bam Bam and you know uh, Tito's kicking around and Virgil's talking to me and stuff. These guys, you know, and he and uh, and he, he I think he was like, well, he's like, I'll, what I'll do is I'll give you one of the spots and you just do what I say. Don't don't be too crazy. He's like, but I'll I'll get you one of the the guest ring announcer spots. And he did it for me twice. Uh-huh. So uh, so I did it for Owen Hart versus Phil Apollo, nice. and then then two shows later, um, Owen Hart versus Ahmed Johnson. And when I was sitting next to him for the Owen Hart versus Johnson after I did the ring announcing, you know, I um, and I did the voice, the whole deal uh, was like this contest is scheduled for one fall. You know, I did <laughs> I did, the, and he loved it. He was like, dude, your voice is better than mine. He's he's laughing, <laughs> and uh, he's like, watch this right here. And, and Owen is doing um, test of strength spot with Ahmed, which was comedy, uh, where. I don't know if you know this spot where the face is taller than the heel and he puts his hands up and the other guy can't quite reach him. Yeah. So and he just barely reaches it and then he switches hands and then the, the heel gets mad and then has to like tiptoe and try to reach the other hand. Uh-huh. You know, so this is an old school spot. Um, he had said to me, he's like, oh, he's like, thank God. And I'm like, what? And he's like, well, they've been working that spot forever. And Ahmed gets it wrong every freaking time. But finally, <laughs> he's got it right. So, you know, he's letting me in a little bit, you know, and I thought that was cool. And uh uh, so shout out to Bill Dunn, wherever he is these days. He let me do uh, two guest ring announce spots, and I was not really anybody much more than a training wrestling student um, that owed him nothing, you know, or yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's amazing. He, so, he owed me nothing. Did but. that exposure, I mean, as, as small as it was relatively, did that actually lead to more opportunities um, with different companies around the Northeast? Sure. I mean, a, a lot of people knew, but I say I wasn't using my name for that. My Kenny Casanova, Kenny Casanova, by the way, is a stage name. I was using my <gasps> real last. I was using my real last name, which I don't tell anybody. I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> which is funny. You get this. You do the same uh, exact response. The only people <laughs> who end up hearing my shoot last name is uh, I'm also a wedding DJ. Mm-hmm. So when they write a check to me, I usually have them write it to my real name. And they're like, "Wait, that's not your real." They're like, "Oh, that wrecks it. I thought that was really your last name because it actually is a." Uh, a surname that some people have, not a lot, but I mean, uh, uh, there's a Canadian uh, hockey player and a few people out there that have had the last name Casanova and all. Um, so when they hear it, they, they're a little bummed. <laughs> so I never say it. I just don't say it. <laughs> um, Maybe I'll tell you offline sometime. Oh, please do. Uh, were there ever any thoughts of starting your own company? Promoting? Yeah, actually promoting. Okay, so yeah, and a lot of people probably don't know my history in promoting. Um, so I'll tell you that briefly. Uh, so I worked for USWF and a, and a number of promotions in Pennsylvania. USWF was the one that uh, I trained with under T.C. Reynolds and Tom Brandy and some of those guys. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow was around. Uh, King Kong Bundy was another guy, too, that they put me with a lot early on. Um, so after that, I pissed off the promoter a little bit. and I, I think he um, – he saw me getting like mentioned in magazines, but not his promotion. I think he got pissed. Right. I'm not sure really, but he didn't like my self promotion, getting my name out there, writing little things up, uh, you know, and maybe not plugging him as hard as maybe he had wanted. I'm not sure, um, but I did the whole same thing that a lot of territorial guys would do. I jumped around to a bunch of different promotions, and I think that pissed off my first promotion, the guy that, the group that trained me. So they stopped using me. So I said, all right, uh, what I'm going to do is bring it to my area. So I started booking all of his guys over to Albany 
and uh, a place called Schenectady, New York. And me and um, one of the other guys, a guy named Dave Dijon, he went by a wrestling name, Dan- just Danger, Danger, not Ranger Danger. Is a different <laughs> guy. Uh, and uh, we started throwing shows up here. So we, we did something called um, New Breed Wrestling was the first one, uh, first group. And we had uh, King Kong Bundy versus this guy, Primo Canera the third, who would eventually become Big Guido in ECW. Um, and, and those two guys broke the ring and it got all kinds of uh, <laughs> PWI like exposure. They put it everywhere. Like, these big, huge guys broke the ring. Really, the, the issue was is we were new and we didn't know exactly how to build our own ring properly. And it, we didn't put the right supports in it. And we broke it. So right. that's really what happened. But I mean, it got pressed <laughs> and made it look like the monsters did it on purpose. And then that moved on to um, Eastern States Wrestling, which was the group that would loan the license out to ECW. And uh, we would bring uh, – uh, all kinds of people in for that. Like we started using um, uh, Ace Darling and Crowbar and uh, just just random uh, big names at the time. Reckless Youth would be kicking around. Big um, guys. What what year? What year was this? This was like post- I'd say late nineties, probably. Uh, right. Okay. Cool. Between ninety five and two thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, then World of Hurt Wrestling W O H W, which might be familiar letters to people that read my books, was next. And uh, that that spawned uh, uh, bookings like uh, Brody Lee, who would eventually be who was nobody. He was uh, training out of Rochester. We started using him. He became Luke Harper in WWE. And uh, we brought in um, uh, Aaron Stevens, who would eventually become uh, Ms. Dow. That guy, you know, so we little guys we would use all over the place and people would get bigger and you know, and go off and do it and, and make a good show for themselves, make a good name for themselves with WWE or whoever. Out of, uh, out so, of interest, did you ever use the Olsen twins? Yes, totally. Colin, yeah, uh, Delaney, yeah, yeah. So he's a, he's a good friend. I had, a, the old I, I did quite a few shows with Colin. Uh, we had like a little oh, mini nice. series of podcasts. He's so cool. Like he didn't. Yeah, have, he's great. He didn't have to do that for me. And yeah, I think yeah. now that is, he's opened his own um, his own sort of geek. Uh, pop okay. culture cafe called Pop Rock Cafe in Rochester. Oh, nice. Um, and obviously, he's been back in WWE, done Ring of Honor stuff, and all that kind of thing. Sure. So he's had he's backed off from the podcast thing a little bit because I think he has to maybe mind his p's and q's about. So yeah, he things. would uh, <laughs> he would ride in with uh, Brody Lee, uh, John Huber's his real name. So um, uh, Luke Harper. Yeah, he's good. They would ride into yeah. my shows. Yeah, they would ride into my shows together the ones that i was booking now here's the thing i managed luke harper i made him wear ridiculous purple uh you, they even show it on like um wwe like uh where they came from i think is the name of the series or something like that yeah uh, they show luke harper dressed up like all crazy you know wearing like humpty hump digital underground like clothes like just ridiculous stuff so when you talk to him now he'll go and, and it's, some of it's truth but some of it's not he'll he'll say I don't like Kenny Casanova. He he's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> like so he doesn't put me over at all because I made him do total comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, and he went so the other direction and did so much better for him and he's awesome. I really like the guy. Um funny story. Someone saw him last year, this kid Chase, uh who's a who's a fan of my work. He um he saw him at Access. WWE does that uh Thing where they they put the fans out there with the with the wrestlers and they can sign autographs and um, they go to almost like a WWE convention that they put on yeah. and 
uh, I just did what you said I shouldn't do. Uh, explain what the Royal Rumble is. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, so this kid goes up to uh, uh, Luke Harper and he's got a picture of me with him wearing the purple and ridiculous <laughs> shaven. And, and he's like, hey, we signed this picture. He's like, oh, sure, kid. And he looks down and he's like, oh. He's like, he's like, dude. And he's like, yeah, it's Kenny Casanova. You, you still talk to him? He's like, Oh no, dude! I hate Kenny Casanova. And then Rowan sitting next to me is like, "You hate Kenny Casanova? I love him." Then <laughs> Rowan puts me over, doesn't even know who I am. And he's in. Uh, so anyhow, I got the story. The story is just basically that. It's just oh, uh, I made I made him do comedy, and he 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 doesn't like comedy. <laughs> so I. <laughs> but uh, I mean, got to start kind of uh, right around the same time we started. So. Uh, I could I could say I helped him a little, helped him out a little bit early on. Absolutely, you know? I have to name drop you to Colin as well. You do do get along, don't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, oh yeah, no, so I'm, I'm not going to open any kind of kind of worms or anything like that. But um, yeah, the uh, latest book from uh, W O H W uh, Publishing is uh, Vader Time. Um, sure. And and uh, let me stop you just before you start that. Okay. Okay, so I that. That promotion that that uh, Luke Harper worked with, as it was called W O H W, coincidentally. So um, recently on another podcast, they were like, "What does that stand for?" And the, and the and the guy looks it up. Walking on hot waffles. <laughs> That's what I. He's was... like, <laughs> he's like, what the hell? He's like, why why is it called that? And I'm like, well, I own W O H W dot com, uh. and uh, <laughs> I didn't want to steal the, the the name of the group because eventually we passed it off to. a a pretty cool dude that does some stuff with Ring of Honor and all. His name's Shane Alden. Mm. And uh, we turned it over to him, and he runs World of Hurt Wrestling. He just calls it WOH, though. He doesn't call it WHW. So I kept the acronym. And a lot of, and a lot of people um, say that a four-letter domain is, is worth money these days. So rather than get rid of that, when I was looking for a name, a brand to call my books, I just re- uh, invented what the WHW stood for. And I said, I want it to be, as you said, at the beginning of, of the podcast, um, reflected my writing style, which could be at points graphic and also at the same time funny. So walking on hot and then you think about coals, you know, like it would burn your feet and that hurts. Yeah. Um, and then I switched it to waffles because that's ridiculous so you got graphic and funny at the same time and that's how we came up with the name well, well i mean so. th this this podcast is called turn chuckle and it's, it's not, yeah, gra yeah. not graphic by any means but um sure you know when you ask certain wrestlers to do your podcast and they're like oh so what's it called turn chuckle and how yeah. how no one has just hung up the phone at that point um <laughs> not oh i like it <laughs> well, it's like a turnbuckle, but with a chuckle in there. Usually. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of thought went, in, went into that. You know, um, <laughs> every podcast name has been used. You know, um, sure. so when you, you said, know, they're starting to, starting to the point of nausea, where like you just take a term in wrestling and it's a podcast. So uh, I'm sure there is a breaking kayfabe podcast. Or oh, I'm sure is. there there is a. Uh, uh, there's a gorilla know, position take, podcast. Uh, sure, you know anything with a move name too, like uh, uh, fly. There's probably a flying elbow podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yours has a little bit of thought to it, so I like the title. <laughs> okay, this is good. <laughs> this is good. And um, so yeah, the um, at Veda time. Obviously, I, I, I can't imagine how uh, um, emotional that has been for you. Um, oh, God, it, it is. Yeah. Um, so with. with 
that was because Vader made the announcement um, around about two years ago um, that he had two years left. Um, but didn't really disclose what the illness was or anything like that. Um, was it at that point he was like, right, I have to write a book? Yeah, no. Actually, we were writing it two years before, and the book was ready to go. Right. And we were all set to go, and then he found that out. And then he's like, I, I hate to tell you, but uh, I don't think we should put the book out yet. And I'm like, why? He's like, well, I just got diagnosis, and my health's not too good, and I think it's going to be a whole you know, game changer for the end of the book. And he was right. I mean, when you get to the point where, uh, you know, you have an expiration date, you know that you're going to be leaving. Um, you've got like a bucket list type, uh, you know, with, with a time limit, uh, situation going on. Um, he, he made it. So I had to rewrite a lot of the books because there was so much more now I needed to do. Um, Mick Foley just recently, put the book over huge. He did this big review on it. I don't know if you saw it, but, um, he, he explained, look, man, he's like the hook on the book and, and everything where, uh, you know, you discuss knowing that you're going to pass away. And, and, and he's like, it, it beat my book. He's like, it's better than my book. He's wow. like, and I didn't think anyone could do that. And I was like, what an endorsement by Mick Foley. But I mean, basically I think the reason why he did that is because him and, and, uh, Leon were so close. They had such a history together. Um, so yeah, we, we had the book written, uh, it was set to go. We were just kind of going through the last edits and then he got that, that news that he had uh, congestive heart failure and, uh, issues with his heart mm -hmm. where the doctor basically said, you got two years, uh, you know, so, uh, clean up your diet, do the best you can. Maybe you'll add some months to your life, but it, it looks bad. And he was like, oh, so everything after that, you know, was like, geez, uh, we need to go through the book and make sure um, he ties uh, loose ends up. And, uh, you know, so uh, if he had slammed somebody, he then was like, uh, maybe I need to call this guy and talk to them. And like, he apologized to the guy in the book that he had broke his back as a jobber and uh, right. th things like that. You know what I mean? Th that we needed to, to fix up. And, um, man, after he did finally pass and we didn't we were hoping it wasn't going to happen, but he did. Um, his son stepped up and helped me go through the whole book and even polish it up one more time, you know, um, and, uh, the book's pretty tight. I think if the fans pick it up, they'll, they'll enjoy it. Do, do you think as well that if more wrestlers get a chance to read it as well, if they had a negative opinion on, on Leon, that their opinion would change based on uh, the book? I really think so. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's basically kind of the, the way that we've try to do all the books a little bit. I mean, uh, again, if you're going to invest your time with the guy, I want you to end up like loving the guy in the, in the end. Uh, I don't know how big of, um, uh, Howard Stern is over there. Or if you guys yeah, he's all that, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's okay. So, um, a lot of times he'll bring in a, a guy to interview or somebody and, um, he had no interest, but by the end you're like, wow, this person is so much more interesting now. So that's kind of like what I tried to do was, hope I could pull out the stuff that you would relate well to with the individual and see that they have a human side and understand why they did some of the stuff that maybe they are hated behind the scenes for, mm. uh, you know, and, and at least think like them or understand where they came from. Uh, so uh, that helps sell the book as well, you know, because relatable is what it's all about, I think, is uh, finding that common thread between the reader and the person they're reading about. Absolutely. And in the book is the uh... – 
the, the Stan Hansen eye pop. Oh, yeah. Up. Yeah, obviously that's in there, but other pictures. Uh, uh, let me think a second. Uh, there might be one, but um, basically that footage owned by um, New Japan and All Japan, and they were on a uh, uh, like a merger type show where they, the two of them had their promotion versus promotion type situation, and uh, I could get, I couldn't really get the rights all that for it. So, um, but I mean, it's pretty well described. So if you read it, I think I know. <laughs> See, that was actually again based on the of... based on the beefcake thing. I can imagine that this is uh, Vader's injuries are pretty graphically talked about. Sure. Same with Sabu's as well. Like, yeah, 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 same type of thing. Uh, we started that book, the Vader book, initially with uh the eye getting knocked out of your head mm-hmm. but when he found out that he was going to pass away yeah and uh, what we did was we started with a jarring even before that uh situation so he it, the book kind of starts out with him knowing he has expiration date and and discussing you know i'm gonna die but i'm gonna do the best i can and live life to the fullest before that happens um and this reminds me of another uh, rough time that which now doesn't even seem as rough and that's when I had my eye knocked out of my head and then he tells the story so we had to figure out a way how to keep the initial book but you know opening but even make it even more jarring and, mm-hmm. and throwing that that mortality in there and it was just like wow so it's um I would think you, people do it. would you say a lot of humor in there as well sure you know I always try to pull out the funny so what I do is uh, uh, when we get a story um, I don't I don't add stuff to the story, but I think of a way to tell the story to make it more comedy. You yeah. know what I mean? Make it more fun because there's always a way to say something to make it sound funny um, when it may not even be funny. Just using certain words like uh, <laughs> uh, let me think of an example. Maybe which books have you read? The Beefcake well, one. I've, I've like, got the Beefcake one. I remember just one line when it, I think he was like walking like Hogan helps him in the hospital just to walk outside or something like that. And he's like, I had to be careful okay. so that my, I wouldn't sneeze and my lung would come out of my eyeball or something like you know, that. Like, that kind right. Of right. So see, <laughs> see that scene actually did happen. Right. <laughs> but by me saying it that way, it's now funny. But before, um, it was such a dark, sad area. Yeah. I needed to punch it up for a second because I'm like, I don't want to just be brutal, 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 brutal. I thought brutal, brutal laugh for a second you know, and back down to the brutal um, is that emotional roller coaster that a reader is going to appreciate more than, you know, the same crap over and over and over again for a while to the point where it hurts. True. So. And, and if people need a, a, a very visual uh, representation of your humor, uh, you were you at the Hall of Fame when Vader inducted Stan Hansen? Yes, and it's funny that you uh, you mentioned that I wrote some of his speech because there is a story about the uh, the glasses as well. Sure. Uh, uh, you know it? Did I tell you that? You, you did tell me this okay. on our failed okay. uh, first attempt, oh, but okay. it's, it's such a good story. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I, I'm I, talking to him, and I'm like, you know, you're going to get you're gonna get to that story and stuff. If you could throw some in with the eye story to make it funny, um, I think that that would be better than just brutal, brutal, brutal here because um, while you, you and Stan did beat the crap out of each other, and that is what brought you to WCW – um, we're also celebrating Stan and we don't want to make it look like he just kicked your ass, you know, and that's it. So I'm like, what if we did a prop thing? We did a We took t- steal a page out of Carrot Top's book. And, um, you know, you ever see those slinky eyeglasses? I'm like, what if we remove one of them and have it so 
you put on some glasses to, to read something or what have you, and then the eye droops. And then people in the know will just get a, a kick out of that because the eye just fell out of your head because of Stan Hansen now some 20, 30 years later. He's like, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So I'm online on eBay and I'm looking. I'm like, all of these are corny. The, the modern glasses, they don't look right. They're like – and plus he's a big dude. I need an adult size. So eventually I'm, I'm buying – looking. I'm finding the glasses I want him to wear and I find it. And it's actually like an old antique version because they were bigger. And uh, they were red, and I'm like, this this is going to be cool because of the black and red and the whole deal. So I ordered them, they and I have them overnight shipped to him, and they got to him in in his hand just in time for him to to do it at the Hall of Fame. And um, really, if you think about it, the moments that stick out in your head for Hall of Fame are visual, prop related moments. So they'd be like, I don't know, Kurt Angle pouring milk over his head or something. More so than just. Yeah a guy standing in front of the podium reading off a piece of paper and walking off. So I wanted him to have something like that. And I think we pulled it off. It would be pretty cool if uh, fans go back and watch that and see it and, and get an understanding of why we wrote that. I also wrote Beefcake's Hall of Fame, too, oh, well, by the way. I, I certainly want to get into so, that as well. Yeah, I was going to say one of my favorite um, – Two favorite magazine covers of all time were actually both Raw magazines. Vader's on the cover of the first ever Raw magazine um, with his uh, Vader bomb on Gorilla Monsoon. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Those two, those two days, Raw Rumble '96 and the Raw after it, I think, are the best two days of a debut for any character, any wrestler in history. Because obviously, I mean, Vader was unique in the sense that because they didn't WWF didn't really acknowledge someone's history. But with this, you sure. couldn't really not acknowledge his reputation. And um, right. the the angle with Monsoon was so good. Um, the fact that Monsoon took the bum for him as well, and um, Vader just looked like a absolute monster. I, I, right. I would, I think, I, I don't know how he felt about it, but and I know it's kind of sad to say, but those two days were kind of his peak in the WWF, and then it kind of didn't really happen for him after that in terms of. Yeah, I know there were main events and stuff like that, but you really should have won the title. I know he was meant to at uh, Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden, and um, right, it didn't really happen for him. I, you know, was it the outsider thing that Vince didn't create him, or like? Yeah, he... I think it was part of that. He kicks himself or kicked himself anyhow um, on the idea that he didn't go with Vince's idea. Uh, now Mick Foley who came from exactly the same place as Vader, uh, you know, WCW and also even the same feuds, you know, he wrestled Vader. Um, he, he took off, he did very well in WWE. He established himself jumping off the, the cage there, you know, and the whole deal. And, um, he, but he started by being mankind, which was not cactus Jack. It was something that Vince created. Vince wanted vader to be called mastodon he didn't want him to be called big van vader he wanted to own the rights to his name and um you know which is good for vince but not always good for the the guy you know uh and we can talk about why that hurt beefcake later on very easily um but if he, he said if i had done mastodon they probably would have went with like a black and green color scheme and i would have been exactly the same but i've been called something else and he's like and i probably would have done very well for myself um, you know, because then people could go get the big Van Vader action figure that came out for WCW, but they can now get a new WWE green and black action figure of Mastodon yeah. instead of something similar that maybe they figure their kid has. And I'd have a whole new chapter of merchandise 
that might have done very well for me. And he's like, I should have done it. And plus, the real icing on the cake would have been Vince would have said, this is my guy. This is my creation. I can put my title on this guy. So, um, yeah, it's all about business and marketing. And he says, uh, he said in the book, looking back later on, he kind of kicks himself and wishes he had just let him change his name. Did he feel that? Because he didn't need Jim Cornette at all, but it did work. Um, sure. Did he kind of feel that he didn't need Cornette, or was it kind of was he kind of just more open minded in some ways? Because um, he Vader, you know, Leon can talk, um, and he looks like him. You wouldn't think that he needed like the the fat manager in the pink, you sure. know, sports coat sort of thing. But I think he appreciated Cornette, and Cornette also was a good. Um lobby for him because vader did want to keep his name jim Cornette was the was the first one to go up to big van vader and go i'm sorry to go up to vince mcmahon and say um i don't know if you realize this every time i'm telling these stories i try to do their voices <laughs> so <laughs> no, I'm, okay. and I'm working up to a jim Cornette person oh please do <laughs> um, all right uh you big goof. I, I don't think that Van Vader should should go to WWE and call the Mastodon. People know him all over the world already as Big Van Vader. Why would you want to waste energy on, on trying to create something new when you got this at your disposal? You know, something like That's that. That's really good. I, I don't need guests anymore. I can just get you on to pretend. <laughs> just stay, yeah, I, why don't we book Jim Cornette on the next show? And it, it'll, it'll actually be me. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, um, that was the idea uh-huh. that um, back in the day, Harley Race, who was Vince, uh, Vader's uh, manager, yeah. he would lobby for him behind the scenes and, and get stuff done because the better that Vader did, um, the better spots that Harley was getting. So same thing with Jim Cornette. He was a good mouthpiece for him. He would be political and help out behind the scenes and and everything was good. Um, there is a story in there where you could see that Vader did not get along um, with at least – the cornet that would ask him uh, to do certain things in the match when Vader felt that he was the experienced wrestler and the moves that happened in the ring should be more dictated by him and his opponent, not by the manager. So that was the only real butting of heads, I think, that they had. Well, stuff like the moon, like he, he did moonsault some jobbers and stuff like that. Did he feel that that was needed or, you know, or you should have maybe saved them for the bigger matches? <laughs> Uh, are, are you talking about did Cornette believe that or did Vader believe no, that? No, did Vader believe that? Because like, it, it's one of those things as well. Because Paul, I don't know if Paul Bearer did it quite as much when he managed him, but Vader would get up for the Vader bomb and then Cornette would kind of say, you know, go to the top. And was he, he wasn't going into business for himself there, was he? Like, kind of, no, no, no. no oh, that, was, okay. that was probably, that was probably said. Uh, uh, Vader really liked doing the moonsault because he knew he was one of the few people who could, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, of his size, super heavyweight type thing. Bam Bam Bigelow was another. Um, so take nothing away from him. But uh, Vader says, I'm the first one that did it, you know, and, and, and Bigelow, uh, they had a little bit of a competition thing going on, but they were tagged tag team together in Japan and they were friendly. Um, so he liked to show off that he could do that move whenever he could, even to the fact where he had to fight Ole Anderson in WCW, who did not want him doing it because he said a big guy shouldn't be flying around the ring like Pinocchio. Right. So. Mm. Did, did um you know because you're a big uh, action figure collector as well and this is this is how i found you for for the most like weird circumstance that you had made a, <laughs> a lex express tour bus from scratch out of a brat's <laughs> yeah. uh tour bus because i i don't care what anyone says i love that period but um <laughs> so yeah no that is so, and you have a lot of uh customized action like did you get a lot of stuff from ralph's uh, figure clothing 
Uh, I did get some. Yeah, I totally get. I did get some. I just want to correct what I just said a second ago, though. Mm-hmm. Flying around the ring like Peter Pan. I said Pinocchio, which is wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I did get some. Uh, so if you guys want to check out WrestleToy.com, people kept, you know, I would post on Facebook and here and there different things I have in my collection. Um, Jim Cornette's also a big collector of wrestling memorabilia. He's got a massive collection. Yeah. Um, they said, can you throw some of your things up on a website so we can see it? So you could go to WrestleToy.com and check out all the different things that I have. Um, what happened was is after I pretty much had almost every action figure you could basically get of of, of each guy out there. So um, I decided I needed to start figuring out how to make ones of the guys that didn't exist. Um, and that's where the Ralph's thing kind of came into play, but I would only do it if I could really put together something that looked like the character that didn't exist. So, um, you, you did a really good job. Uh, 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 we should do a full show on toys and merchandise at one point, but, uh, <laughs> because I think we could Thanks. easily fill up an hour of that. But my favorite, uh, one of my favorites is the uh, Bertha Fay custom that you made out of like Yokozuna's head <laughs> and some guy's body. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was really good. She's got the fishnet. She's got everything. But yeah, no, Ralph, I think that guy, he passed away. And I think his family kind of took over the business. But so many people do right. custom yeah. stages and all kinds yeah. of things now. And uh, But Ralph's was certainly the uh, the, the forerunner of that. And that's largely because the classic superstars, a lot of the time they wouldn't come with their entrance gear or the right yeah. accessory and stuff like that. But uh, the classic right. superstars was the thing that got me back into, back into collecting. So look, with... Um, and we will talk much more about toys um, on, an, on another show. Um... With Vader in particular, was he um, probably having maybe the most merchandise out of everyone that you've interviewed? Like, how did did the the guys who you interviewed in general talk about their merchandise a lot? And did they have any favorite pieces? Or... That's a good question on who has the most. I've never actually sat and tried to. Oh well, maybe that. maybe Beefcake, have a lot. but um, well, Beefcake, Beefcake has a lot. Beefcake has a lot, but I mean. Vader was Vader for, forever, whereas Beefcake changed characters. Sort of, and I'm only right. thinking of strict Brutus Beefcake. Right. Kind of well, let me uh, let me just finish that. Um, since we're on Beefcake for a second, what what was it that I was jumping ahead to? Oh, the uh, the changing of the names and owning the names. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so when Beefcake left WWF, uh, following Hogan uh, to movies. He was going to be Hogan's kind of handler. He was also a stunt double for him and all. They didn't know he was going to necessarily go to WCW, but Vince owned the name Bruce Beefcake at the time. Mm-hmm. So when he went to WCW, he couldn't be Bruce Beefcake. And what happened was is Hogan kept wanting to write for Beefcake to come up with the best uh, character for his buddy. And uh, – he came up with Zodiac and he came up with Butcher and Brother Brutai and the Booty Man and all these crazy things, the Disciple, that weren't as, you know, they weren't as good as Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And that's why he never took off. Mm-hmm. So essentially, because um, Vince owned the name, he crippled um, the one shtick that the wrestler could have had. Uh, easy, you know, walking right into WCW. If he was cutting hair, he would have probably take, continued right off where he left off. Yeah. But he couldn't do that. So he had to try to reinvent and find what worked for him and couldn't do it. Didn't work for him, you know. So that's why when we talked about Vader before switching his name, um, if he had just switched his name but the gimmick stayed the same, stuff might have been okay uh, because he didn't have to depend on a pair of scissors or some kind of 
prop or something that he wouldn't be able to bring with him to, you know, New Japan or wherever he might go after WWF. Um, it's, so, ama- it's amazing what you can copyright, isn't it? Like sure, cutting yeah, someone's just hair and stuff like that. You know? Cutting hair and the, the holding the shears. You know, he couldn't do that. So, um, but yeah, back to the toy thing. Uh, you can see my Zodiac custom action figure on WrestleToy.com. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So. So, yeah. Um, did uh, any of the guys talk about that? Because it was someone like Vader precious about his merchandise, and so because obviously with them being under legend contracts go, uh, going forward as well, uh, was Vader like excited when his new action figure would come out or new uh, you know all card the, and all that kind of stuff? Uh, you know, it's funny. You know, you and I would both say has to be right, mm-hmm. and they all say that. Oh, it's awesome when my figure came out. But most of them, really, if you get down to the core of the uh the subject of it all um since they had already seen themselves on a thermos and a lunchbox and a yeah. and a uh and a, and a billboard and uh a glass and uh you know in a game and this and that the action figure is just one of those items and most of them aren't action figure collectors so when you ask them that it sounds cool to us because we like the stuff they're kind of just like oh the action figure was awesome because it made me 10 grand right. or they sent or they sent me four cases of it, which I sold, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of them, they're not as nostalgic on their action figure as if I had one come out of, of me after collecting every action figure I could find, you know, um, would be, I think. So, uh, in short, to an- a- answer your question, none of the wrestlers that I've worked with have marked out to an action figure, um, much more than maybe Danny Davis, who really wanted a picture of it in the book. Yeah. And he wanted to and he made it a point to say I wanted a, a figure of myself in my wrestling gear, um, more so than just the, the ref gear. I wanted that as well. I think Jax um, would have got around to that, I think, eventually. They probably would have, yeah, because they had the head cast already and that's all they need, really, and they'll slap it on anybody thereafter to make an extra buck. Yeah. So um Mattel has talked about a possibility of a figure of his. I haven't seen it yet, but um I've heard it might happen. So what, we'll see. what was the WrestleMania 30 appearance of Danny Davis? Was that like a literally just a one-off, or could, has that kind of did that open the doors to other things? Russell, now I don't even remember it. Can he, you? He was me? he was backstage dressed as a referee while they were playing the equivalent oh, of like yeah, karate yeah. fighters, but the WWE equivalent of something. And Danny was a referee, and I marked out massively over it. Yeah, um, but did, it, it uh, kind of seemed uh, very odd. Um, you know, considering there was no. I assumed he was not under a legend contract or anything like that because there's been no other merchandise except the action figure. So, what do you know what led to that? Or where where was thirty? Do you remember what stadium? It was New Orleans. It was um... that doesn't make sense. Um, oh, I was going to say. Oh wait, it may not have been thirty, but it was a recent ish WrestleMania, like thirty one, thirty two, something. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I I don't know. I mean, I know they brought him in for uh, like Raw. Maybe was it 1,000 or maybe it was related to something like that. I don't know. I'll have to ask him that. I don't know the answer to that. So, Oh, fair enough. But is that, um, it, <laughs> has any uh, – with the merchandise thing, did, did anyone like openly to you express their uh, disappointment of how something looked? Because there's the story about Earthquake when he got his first classic superstar figure because um, he was still alive when it came out. He was like, they just made me look so fat. <laughs> and the second one came out after he died and they didn't change his body at all and they yeah. used they used the same body for Vader um 
which is yeah. which was basically the Yokozuna body and the Mabel body and stuff like that. So, <laughs> like, was have, have has anyone ever sort of mentioned any piece of merchandise that was just really shitty? <laughs> they didn't. Not, like? not really. Short of I think nails being uh, uh, not happy with the uh, the action figure paycheck where he beat up Vince McMahon and then got fired from WWE. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, no, I not not. Not that I can think of short of Danny Davis, uh, which I've already said, wanting to see himself as a wrestler instead of uh, just the referee figure. So that's cool. So the, um, I think that's all I got. We should we'll we'll wrap up because I have kept you longer than uh, than I should have. But sure. um, uh, this year's Hall of Fame. Uh, first, how crazy was the Brett incident? Like, what? Uh, yeah, what did you see? I mean, you've probably been asked about this, but like, yeah, what was your point of view with this? Like, so, okay, so uh, Beefcake's wife had you know, family and friend tickets. She got a few. She let me come, which is awesome. I was sitting at ringside. Brett was on just before um, Beefcake was inducted. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, as we all saw, the guy jumps out of the audience, uh, attacks Brett with like a, a flying forearm kind of situation behind him. No one expected. We didn't know what was going on. And and some people even thought it was a work. Um, some, some conspiracy theorists say it was a work <laughs> because at the same time, Ring of Honor had their big show at, at uh, Madison Square Garden, and Vince set it up with this guy to uh, uh, to get people looking at the Hall of Fame instead of Madison Square Garden and stuff. Right. So, yeah, that's what conspiracy theorist guys will say, and you know, there's tons of them in wrestling. So, but uh, man, I, from what I heard, it seems legit to me. Uh, so I'm sitting there, uh, right in front of me is to the left is Sergeant Slaughter, and then just in front of him, uh, and almost. It, Right in front of me is uh, Shane McMahon, um, and we're sitting around the ring, ringside. When Shane saw that, he literally said, what the fuck? And he jumped up and went right at the guy. And I was holding my phone, so I quick started taping it, and I put it up on f- feed, and people clicked all over it while it was happening. You know, yeah. um, So he jumps in the ring, and he starts throwing bombs on this guy. And then uh, – Harry Smith, the British Bulldog's son, did the same thing. Yeah. And, man, he got a couple good shots. And then right after that was uh, Ronda Rousey's uh, boyfriend. I, I can't think of his name. Something like Tyler Brown or something like that. Uh, that guy jumped in the ring. Travis Brown, I think his name is. Um, I was mix, mixing Tyler Black with Travis Brown there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he starts shooting some, you know. So, uh they finally grabbed the guy and I don't know, you know, it went black on the screen and, you know, I kept filming it and I put it up online so people could see it. Uh, then they came back. Brett didn't miss a beat. His professional got up and just kept going. Um, but here's what I hear happen. And this is an exclusive for you. Uh, so I see Harry Smith afterwards at, at a, at a post, uh, what would you call it? Like a after party. Um, and I'm like, dude, that was awesome. I'm like, you got a hold of him. You gave it, you gave it to him. I'm like, let me see your hand. He's like, yeah. He's like, I had a couple rings on, and he says, look, <laughs> look, look at my, look at my knuckle right here. He's like, it's a little red. And I'm like, dude, you gave it to him good. And he's like, well, he's like, I got a couple shots in. He's like, for sure, I did. He's like, but uh, uh, let me tell you this. He's like, I'm not the only one that got got some shots in. I'm like, what, what else? And he's like, well, he said, uh, you know, when they got him backstage. Before they got uh, before they got him to security, he said uh, Braun Strowman was there. He held the guy pretty much by his foot and wouldn't let the guy go. 
And and uh, guards came by and they said, we got him. And he's like, no, I got him. You wait, <laughs> you wait until my WWE guy come, comes or whatever. So they called Samoa Joe. Oh. Now, you know, you know that that's not head of security or anything. No. They called Samoa Joe. And what, from what Harry tells me is Samoa Joe and Braun Strowman beat the fuck out of him in a corner before they gave him off to security. Wow. Uh, and uh, I don't care about leaking that because I'm not in WWE, so who cares? And neither <laughs> neither was Harry. So, yeah. um, But you can only imagine if you let those two guys uh, have at a guy, that guy's probably not going to sleep for much more than 30 minutes at a time for the next probably five years of his life. <laughs> oh, wow. That's incredible. So, but um, but Brutus was happy with with the night, how everything went. Um, sure. There was know. one little snafu. Okay, so I wrote a big part of his um, uh, his speech. They had a teleprompter there that my speech would come up on. And, and I knew it because uh, the WWE changed some words and added a few things and this and that. But there's supposed to be a haircut at the end. And the haircut but got bumped. And I don't know uh, exactly why. I think it might be because of time, maybe because of the Brett thing, and also um, because they just did get approved. The idea was something to do with um, we were going to have somebody get their haircut. I I wanted it to be like a jobber guy. Hulk Hogan actually said he would take the hit and take the haircut as wow. a joke. Okay. And and it was going to be cool, but then something happened where it got dropped last second. Um, but they did bring in the barber poles which was super cool. So that, that was the original idea with the barber poles. And then at the end it was going to open shop for the barbershop quick. And that would be the out. They got dropped. Something got cut. Um, unfortunately. So that's what he was bummed about, but man, he still got in there, you know, and, uh, that's really all that counts. So super cool. Yeah, totally. I mean, was there any, um, apprehension of the stage setup, uh, that you had heard of beforehand? Because I can imagine they're not going to do the ring next year. Um, they'll probably go back to the the stage. Was there any kind of, you know, Brutus has got us back to an audience for like 10, 15 minutes and stuff like that. Was he worried about that or was it just not a... No, I don't think he even thought about it. Like, I don't... Yeah, I didn't hear anything of the sort, so... Mm -hmm. um, in fact, we didn't... I, I don't think... I don't... Th you know what? He did know. He he said that he knew that it was going to be in a ring and, and all beforehand. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that impacted anything, so... And and um, before before we do wrap up, uh, do people still think that the uh, feed with him and Hogan was a work? Some do, uh, but man, I, all I could say is, if they were working it, man, they worked it for four or five years before <laughs> right. for no end for no end game. Like uh -huh. there was no reason to, and the stuff that his wife has said horrible about Hulk Hogan in the past to me in private yeah. would make me say that she was in on it. And why would you bury a guy's friend for no endgame? They had no reason. The book was not even a thought at that point. So beforehand, we were still, you know, on paragraph one, and she was telling me how much she hated Hulk Hogan because of the heat that they had with each other. So uh, also on top of that, if this was a work, um, you know, with Brutus Beefcake uh, on Twitter saying – I'm doing a tell-all book, and then Hogan responded, well, you better get a lawyer if you start talking about me. Yeah. If that was all a work, um, then they, they went so so far to as have called uh, Hogan, Hogan call his lawyer, Dave Houston. Dave Houston calls me up and has me read sections of the book when it was finally <laughs> done to him uh. before it went to print. So, I mean, 
Jesus, if this was a work, they were, they were hooking me up with it for no reason other than to make me say to you right now, no, I don't think it was a work. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, could the book have turned out very differently if they hadn't uh, made up? I mean, what? Uh, yes. My timeline. Oh, okay, I guess it would have. I mean, the t- my timeline's a little bit off. So, when did. Once Hogan realised the book was fine in terms of like not just shitting all over him or whatever, did, right. is that when they hooked back up? And um... I, I think that definitely helped. There was two things with that. Um, one, you asked if the book would have been different if they hadn't hooked up. Um, uh, if they were already together, it would have been different because he would have written the foreword for the book. That's yeah. really what I. That's what I wanted, but it didn't happen. Um, two, we we took the high road anyhow. Like he he told a couple of funny stories about Hogan in there that maybe Hogan would blush at, like maybe him dating sensational Sherry and a couple of things like that, but nothing that would be incriminating. Uh, Hogan had some scandals going on. Their whole point of contention, the, the lawyer told me was that we've been trying to repair his name for a handful of years now. And we don't want like crazy, you know, sex stories or something to be thrown into the fire and make things worse um, because that's the kind of thing that we would have to sue because we're spending money now to try to fix that. Right. So I understood that and we weren't going that route anyhow. Uh, the wife wanted to throw a couple of filthy things in there, but that's just who she is. <laughs> she, <laughs> beefcake's wife. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what was the question again? Cause I had one other thought I was going to add to this. There was a point too. uh, uh, I think that was it. How the book would have turned out otherwise. And, oh, the friendship, right. kindling the friendship. Oh, that's it. The other point too. Jimmy Anvil passed away and uh, Beefcake got a, a text saying, brother, uh, you know, we need to squash the heat. Uh, uh, you know, guys are dying and I don't want to have heat still with you. So they met up at a bar and then everything was cool. So uh, that is cool. Uh, um, well, before one last tiny thing, does Beefcake still have the WrestleMania mask? No. Does okay, not- so. So, yeah, he doesn't have the mask. What happened was is, uh, again, uh, me telling you that a lot of these guys aren't very nostalgic um, because oh, they – Oh, he didn't throw it away, did he? No, he sold it. Oh, OK. That's, I, so I, can, it exists. I can forgive it's, that slightly more. OK. Yeah, someone <laughs> has it. I don't know who, but I did do this. I've contacted a 3D sculpture guy um, uh, whose name is Daryl Nunn out of Albany, New York area. And he, through a bunch of pictures, has redrawn the entire mask, um, and it's almost it's ninety percent accurate. It's short, like a little tiny bit, and he's still working on it because he wants it to be perfect. So he's almost got it identical. Um, we even asked uh, Beefcaper's hat size and the head measurement and stuff. Um, so we're working on a, uh, a replica. So once we got that thing square, I'm going to get the first one over to Beef and <laughs> Beaver and uh, he'll have some for autograph appearances and stuff like that. And I thought I was going to have it before Mania, but these things take a little time to get right. So uh, eventually there might be um, that mask as well as Jesse White, Vader, um, Vader's son, is working on a replica of the big helmet. So oh, that's so cool. Both, and both of those things are in the works. I don't know what we'll see, but uh-huh. we're working on. It. And this is for yeah. this is for sale. These are going to be replicas. Yes. Oh wow! And you're working on okay. uh, the Kamala um, entrance mask. Yeah, as well. actually, that's that's set to go. We can get them at three hundred and fifty dollars, which I think is high. So part of manufacturing, um, you know, distribution is big thing. Getting something out where uh, you know you can mail it out to everybody at a cheap price and this and that. 
Um, part of the problem on this is just the manufacturing. It's wood to make it look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've got it. I've got the prototype here at my house. It looks it, – I'd say the guy did a, it was a super job. I'd say it's probably 80 to 90 percent accurate. Um, it's wood carved. It's heavy as hell. <laughs> That's the thing though. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not light. So um, I think it needs to be a little bit thinner and lighter. Um, and the paint is a tiny bit off. So the paint work, um, but you can still order what has been created for the prototypes for 350 bucks right now. My goal is to get it down to like 200 or something. If I can figure out how to do that, then we'll try to get them out there a little bit more. But if someone really wanted one, I can connect them to the people who want it for around 300 350 bucks or so oh this is very so. cool and and again I, I might be in the minority but 1993 wwf is completely my gem so if the beefcake yeah. masks uh, get me like i i did message danny because in his book and i think i messaged you about it as well um I, f- I feel awkward about doing this but danny's so nice like in his book he has his wrestlemania 9 press pass and i was like look <laughs> how much do you want for it like how precious <laughs> are you about that you know he took a bump at mania 9 as well jimmy hart threw him over the top rope yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um and i love that he still has his wwf uh zebra stripe uh shirt as well um yeah and i i, I Someone pointed out, I found this hilarious because when we spoke to Danny about it, because he he wore long sleeves largely because of the tattoos and Vince didn't want the tattoos to be shown on TV. And someone was like, why didn't he wear short sleeves? You know, he was really jacked and everything. And I had to tell him and he was like, oh, he never had tattoos. And you, you really have to look closely to see. And Danny doesn't really think much of these tattoos. Um... But yeah, no, that's why they were covered up. Um, for, oh, okay. For anyone who was wondering, uh, sort of thing. Yeah, he's, I think he said so. Two, twofold also, because he was refing and acting as Mister X on the same card. Yes. So Mister X would have uh, would have um, uh, tattoos on his arms, and you would see the ref have the same tattoos. That would be a dead giveaway that he was playing. You know, uh, two characters on the same show. <laughs> so absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So right, okay. So I've I've kept you far, far, far too long. So thank you for this. Uh, where can people sure. find you? Where can people buy the books? Um, All right. Hawk away, basically. Okay, so uh, if you want to just learn about me and stuff that I've done, check out KennyCasanova.com. The links there will also take you to WOHW.com for books, if you like. Uh, you can check out the Wrestle Toy thing we talked about if you're interested in my collection just to see some of that nonsense, you know. So WOHW for books, WrestleToy.com for the collection. Uh, if you want to see my DJ stuff, it's TheDJService.com. And all of that you can get at KennyCasanova.com. And I'm Kenny Casanova on pretty much all the social media. That's wonderful. Okay, well, Kenny – uh, thank you for this. Um, no problem. You know, I, I, I know you've done a few of these, and I tr- I'm trying not to ask the same question. This is the thing. There's a million wrestling podcasts out there. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's always the same 15 bullet point question sort of thing. So as long as this wasn't the worst podcast you've ever done in your life, no, then, uh, then I think we're fine. Not. Then I think we're fine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm probably a little bit better than Austin's. Um, I think so. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get any kind of heat. Um, anyway, so, yes, thank you, Kenny, and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.